good morning, everybody. It is uh, so good to be with you. Of all the places that uh, we could have been here today, I am grateful that you are here. This morning, we're going to continue in our series on Ephesians, and uh, I have been enjoying uh, just diving into God's Word with you over the last uh, several months and uh, hearing of Paul's heart and his passion and instruction for the church in Ephesus. But uh, before we dive into Ephesians, just a brief, um, brief story about uh, my journey. I, uh, I grew up in the church and was at church all the time, um, Sundays uh, two or three times a day, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, uh, I was there on Saturday mornings and grew up there from the nursery and all the way really through middle school, the, the church that I was at, um, I had learned, I'm not saying it's the church's fault, but I had learned that being a Christian was about following the rules and doing the right thing. As long as you just don't get caught doing the wrong thing, um, everything is going to be okay. And for me, it wasn't until um, probably my junior in high school that um, I began to hear God's voice challenging me that there's something that he wants different from me that being a Christian is different than maybe um, I had always thought it was. It wasn't just about obeying the rules and doing the right thing and not getting caught doing the wrong things. And as God began to open my eyes to this, this truth and this reality, there came a moment on a weekend retreat as my junior year in high school where I surrendered control of my life over to Jesus Christ. And my life from that moment on uh, was markedly, incredibly different. I went back to school, and some of you know some of the funny stories I've told by homeroom. Uh, that uh, Tuesday morning, we got back uh, into school. By t- homeroom, uh, the word is out. Somebody's tapping on the back of my shoulder. So, I heard you found yourself this weekend. Like, what? Not sure exactly what that means, um, but um, I think I had an idea of what they were talking about. In that moment, all of these questions began to run through my mind. Should I tell them? How, how do I tell them? Are, are they going to understand? How in the world did they hear already about uh, this moment in my life, and how are they going to respond if I even do tell them? And if this person knows... What in the world is it going to look like in four and a half minutes when I walk out of homeroom into the hallway and see everybody from my school? And, you know, it, it began in the hallway, you know, people were talking about it. It was really strange. Um, I was not that cool or that popular, but people were talking about me. And this change that happened in my life, and of course, they used the terms that I found myself. And um, I knew internally that there had been a change in my life as I'd surrendered my life um, to my living and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And as the day went on and, you know, days went on, um, there was much uh, that God was doing in my life, and it was clear and evident as He was doing those things in me, other people were noticing so it just so happened to be one day I took um, this guy home. We, we were kind of friends. I'd never hung out with him before, never been in a, a car with him before. And 
Uh, I don't remember why, but he needed a ride home. And I remember as we were going down uh, Hamilton Road with shifting gears, and I don't remember exactly what happened, but I remember a few things that came out of my mouth in that moment. And uh, they were, there was a few explicatives that came out in that moment. And the, um, the, the um, what are those things called? The seat belts, thank you. The seat belts in my truck didn't work. <laughs> So I actually remember him as I'm sitting there, I've got my hand on the shifter and I'm saying certain things. He actually physically completely turns in the seat to me and says, what did you say? And I'm like, uh, uh. And I remembered clearly what I had said and uh, he said these words to me as he looked over, he said, I thought you were a Christian. Oh. In that moment, as I sat there taking him home, I had no words. I didn't know whether to apologize. I didn't know whether to just pull the car over. Um, I didn't know whether to punch him. I, I didn't know. Uh, what are you supposed to do in that moment? Uh, but I knew that he was right that there was this uh, contrast that was happening uh, as people viewed um, Christ in me, that there was this contrast of that and this person that I used to be. And it wasn't supposed to look that way any longer. My life was to look and sound like Christ and to him in that moment, or me for that matter, it clearly did not. So this morning, uh, today, we're going to look um, at a passage in Scripture about a church, the church in Ephesus, um, that kind of mirrors um, parts of that story um, and where they were marked by Christ, but they still had sin um, among them, and they were still wrestling with it. So let's pray as we go to God's Word. God, today, uh, we are incredibly grateful for the privilege to be here today, to get up to get out of bed, to have the ability to walk and talk, to have the ability to hear, to have the privilege to um, sing songs to you about your greatness and your holiness, God, to be reminded of our sin and your incredible grace. So God, as we open your word today, as it's spoken, God, may the words that I speak not be heard, but God, may your voice, may your spirit in people's lives, their hearts and their minds, God, may you teach us, may you change us, and God, may we be different as we leave here in just a little while. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So we find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 4, and over the last few months, so we've been going through the first three chapters, and what uh, you'll find in the first three chapters is an incredible um, amount of wonderful things that are in there. And uh, you'll see in the first few chapters, as Paul is laying out the importance of the gospel for this church that he loves in Ephesus, um, the gospel that he preached to them, he reminds them and tells them that Christ, um, that God has fulfilled a promise that he had made a long, long time ago, thousands of years ago, to Abraham. And I, I love, as I'm, I'm reading this and, and spending time um, in God's Word here this week and, and teaching with our, our students over the last uh, few weeks, I love how God brings um, the story of Scripture together uh, for us to see how He fulfills um, His plans. In, in um, our D groups, uh, we've been, many of them, uh, have been reading through the Old Testament. 
and our kids' ministry has been uh, journeying through the Old Testament this school year. And just a couple of weeks ago, as Ryan shared uh, during communion, that there was um, this moment where um, the children of Israel were in, in Babylonian captivity, and they were sent back to rebuild the temple. And, and there they were, uh, rebuilding the foundation of the temple. And there was part of them that was celebrating as the foundation of the temple was built, and there was part of them that were weeping because it wasn't uh, what um, it used to be, and it wasn't what they had expected it to be. There was something uh, they were expecting, and that something was the fact that God was to bring all people, not just Jews, um, into um, his presence and into his family. And there at the uh, temple foundation, uh, they realized that 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 wasn't happening then at that moment in history. But Paul is reminding us here in the first few chapters of Ephesus that he is finally bringing this promise um, that he made to Abraham that he would bring all into his family Jews and Gentiles alike, together. And um, it's an incredible, uh, incredible moment. So um, Paul also reminds us in the first few chapters um, that God uh, was unifying the Jews and Gentiles under Christ and um, that um, they would all experience the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That they would experience the power that raised Jesus from the dead. He also contrasts the life and death Um, Those two terms, life and death, and that through the grace of God and Christ's death that we are, as his children, made new. We are made new with a new purpose, a new focus, and a new mission that he has made us new. The rest of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus begins in chapter 4. And uh, our pastor, Paul, not the apostle Paul, uh, helped us dive into the first uh, verses over the last couple of weeks. It starts in uh, verse 1. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, Paul writes, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called. And in a few moments, we'll continue with that um, theme as, as Paul continues to develop it. We're also reminded in early on in chapter 4 that um, diversity um, is among and should be among Christ's body and his family. His body at large, his family here at New Life, that diversity should be a part of that. And he also um, tells us um, that we, as the body of Christ, what we should do is grow up in Christ in maturity or to maturity. And you think about that for a minute. Um, Those of you that uh, maybe you've got a few years and you have gained maturity in an area, maybe in, in many areas of your life, And to be um, mature, to have um, that sense of peace, that sense of knowing, that sense of um, being able to follow the Lord differently than what you did in your earlier years is an incredibly wonderful thing. But Paul writes um, that we should grow up in Christ to maturity. And today, uh, we find ourselves continuing in this thought Um, by fleshing out just a little bit of what it looks like to grow towards maturity. So if you've got your Bible today, turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, we're going to start off in uh, verse 17. Paul says this, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. 
They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But, but that is not the way that you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for the building up, as fits the occasion, as is good for the building, I'm sorry, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. It is an incredibly powerful passage, and uh, maybe you're like me. I love passages that are pretty clear and instructive, right? Do this, don't do that. I can do that. Um, by nature, I'm a rule keeper. Is anybody else a rule keeper? You like to follow the rules? Um, sometimes, to be honest, um, I like to follow the rules um, so that um, I don't have to think about it. But I think um, God is wanting us to not just follow the rules here. He's wanting to see transformation happen um, in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives. So let's go back. Let's look at um, a few things uh, that it has to say. Look at um, verse 17. Paul starts out by saying, now this I say and testify in the Lord. It's kind of a big start, right? This I'm testifying in the Lord. Not just casual talk, not just a whimsical thought, not just randomness. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, and this he says this, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So for us this morning, do we believe of these two things, that we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, and that the ways of the Gentiles are futile? Do we believe those things? Let's not gloss over them. Do we honestly believe that we must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, and that their minds are futile? Paul begins to use life and death from here on um, as this metaphor. And um, he also uses um, this idea of putting on clothes. So today, um, I'm going to risk um, sweating profusely. I brought my old coat to you today. Does this remind you of Groveport back in the old days? Three of you, awesome. So this is my old coat. I was going to bring my overalls, um, you know, my Carhartts with me today, but I uh, figured that would take way too long um, to put on. Um, 
But as Paul begins to talk about this idea of um, putting on and putting off, um, he is referencing the old self or the putting off in the way that we were um, before we knew of Christ. And um, he goes on in, in verse 18. He says, They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous, and they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So when we think about what is this, what is this coat, what are these clothes we're going to talk about here in just a minute, that is um, the old self, that is the way the Gentiles think. Um, it is our old life that is marked by death and not by life. What, what are the things that Paul brings to reference here? He says, one, as, as they have this old coat on, they are darkened in their understanding. It is dim. It is not clear. They do not understand the ways of God. They certainly don't understand the words of God. And for us, all of us, before we knew Christ, it is the same. We wore the same coat that is darkened by understanding. And not just darkened by understanding, because we wore this coat, we were alienated. Alienated from God. We could not know Him. We could not speak of Him. Our lives forever would be separated from God, from His glory, from His grace, from His forgiveness, and from a real place called heaven. We were alienated from all that God wanted, for all that God desired, and for all that God was and is. This quote also marks many who have become callous. You know people who have calluses on their hands, uh, particularly men and women uh, who work with them, whether it be woodworking or steel or um, something else. For me, um, I don't have too many calluses <laughs> on my hands anymore. Um, I, my hands do different things. So, but if you think about um, someone who is callous, they've become hard from years or um, sometimes generations of using that part of their skin over and over again, that it has become hard, it has become thick, and it is not anytime soon going to become soft. And he uses this term to remind us and remind the church in Ephesus that those who wear this coat of the old self, they've become callous, unfeeling, they do not sense the ways of God anymore. And beyond that, that they have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. I was reading this morning as our D group is going through currently the Old Testament, I was reading through Abraham's conversation with God as Lot was in Sodom and uh, Abraham very much wanted to rescue um, his family and the people that were in there. And God said that he was just going to destroy it because of how evil um, the city was. And um, Abraham started by saying, look, if there's 50, you know, okay, 50. Okay, God, if there's only 40, maybe I'm thinking about this. If there's only 40 people, then will you not destroy it? And God said, okay, I won't destroy it if there's 40. And he went on, and Abraham's like, well, hmm. I'm not sure I can count 40 people. How about if there's 30? God, will you not destroy it if there's 30 people um, that are holy and righteous in those cities? 
And God said, sure, I won't destroy it if there's 30. And he went on um, to where if there was only 10, um, but he wouldn't destroy it. Um, for the, as I was reading this this morning, just um, thinking about um, how awful of a place where God's presence wasn't, where there was so much, so much evil, so much impurity, where they had given themselves up to sensuality and even to the fact where um, these angels um, came and met with Lot there in his home and um, the people of the city wanted, wanted to sleep with them, to have sex with them. And even for Lot, uh, maybe even to get worse, um, he says, no, I want to protect them, but here are my daughters. Do whatever you want with them. It's the kind of culture, the kind of society um, that marks um, this idea. They'd given themselves up to sensuality. And in the city of Ephesus, it was the epicenter of um, pagan and idol worship for all of Greek culture. And they would have temples to all kinds of things where they would do all kinds of things um, to worship um, their false gods um, there in the city. And for us, you know, I I oftentimes think that... um, our culture is so much different, <laughs> but I don't think it is. I think we, we gloss over it. I think even there are times that there's callousness in my own sight and in my own heart uh, to what um, grieves the heart of God among um, his creation. We live in a culture where we trade um, our kids um, and our spouses for the sensual love of someone who isn't. We trade it in a moment, and it's gone. We live in a culture where we trade the life of an innocent child to the womb because it's just not convenient. We trade basic truths of God so that we might be financially comfortable, so that we might feel as though we're better off financially. These are the things that mark this old self, this coat that I wear. But in verse 20, there's, there's the but that's in there. But that is not the way you learned Christ. That is not the way that you learned Christ. If we go back to Acts chapter 19, where Paul um, launched and planted um, this church in Ephesus for the first time, he was there for years um, teaching them and encouraging them Um, we see um, that there was much jealousy about what God was doing uh, through Paul as um, Paul began to heal people and um, to do the miraculous. And that there were also many who would claim the name of Christ, but yet um, they would practice sorcery as they would do it. But Paul called those people to repentance. And he did so in a powerful way. He cast out the demons And uh, those that were believers, there in that moment, they repented. So even for those that were believers that were practicing sorcery, they had this old self, this old coat um, that was on them, but yet they were still marked by the grace of God through Christ Jesus. We're reminded in uh, verses 18 and 19 of um, Acts 19, it says, Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, And a number of those who had practiced the magic arts um, brought their books together and burned them. They burned them in the sight of all. 
for us today to be reminded and challenged with the idea that when we meet the grace of Christ in our lives, there is no room, no sense for doing evil. None. But yet we're still reminded in this passage as Paul is writing to believers that there is still this old coat, this old self that begins to to linger, um, to stay with us. So how today, how is it that you have learned of Christ? Where did Christ and His grace, where did His gospel intersect your story? Where did it intersect your life? Think about that moment, that time, that place when you surrendered your life to the living God. Was the message of the gospel there? Did you repent of your sins in those moments? Did you repent and choose in that moment um, to follow Christ? Did you repent and just keep on sinning? Which, by definition, would clarify that you didn't actually repent. In those moments, did you still feel um, the, the, the longing and desire to follow the ways of our world and our culture? I know, for me, and in my story, as, as I've shared it, um, there was much um, that God in a moment that year in high school for me that God removed from my life. He removed desires. And, um, but yet, there in that moment in the truck with um, my buddy Charles, um, I was reminded that that coat, mm, it is still, it is still there. It is still there. But Paul, in his grace, reminds the church in Ephesus, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. And then he goes on in verse 21 and says this, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. And I love this because Paul is not just talking to the church. Those whose lives have been marked by the gospel of Christ um, he is also um, making room for the people that might be in the room there and might be in the room here today whose lives have never intersected the grace of God. They've never intersected um, the story of Christ. They've never surrendered their lives to him. And maybe they've never even heard the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my, my hope today One is that uh, you have learned about Christ and surrendered your life to him. And today, if if you haven't, that today might be that day. Maybe you were like me and you you grew up in church and you believed um, that your life was clearly what a Christian should be. And as you read this passage, which um, would be similar to my experience in realizing my, my life does not match up at all. Um, this old coat, this is all that I wear. There is, there is no new coat. And in fact, um, I am embracing this old coat of sin that has alienated me from God. My hope today for you is that you would do uh, what we all need to do, um, which here in a moment is to put off the old self, 
that you would surrender your life to Christ and that your life would be forever changed as God desires um, to glorify himself in forgiving you. That would be just incredible. So Paul um, goes on and uh, he tells them what to do. And um, he tells them in verse 22, um, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through its deceitful desires. What is the corrupt part? The things that he already talked about previously. It's darkened in its understanding. It is alienated from God. It is calloused by sin. And um, it is um, given to sensuality, greediness, and impurity. He tells them um, to put that off. And at this moment, I get to take off this really hot coat. (laughs) What a joy, what a grace that he would allow us to take it off, to not have to wear the burden of it any longer. And his desire would be that we would never pick it up again. And it's catching on fire. All right. Still sounds like it's on fire. Sound. We've got sound effects today. It's incredible. Um, so here he wants um, them to be reminded to put off the old self, to set it aside. There is action in that. It just doesn't happen. Um, He tells them to take it off. Take it off, put it down. He goes on um, in verse 23. He says, And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The idea um, to put on the new self That was my old coat. He wants me to take it off. But he just doesn't want me to take it off. He actually wants me to put on a new one. So I've got a new coat here. It's much nicer than my flannel jacket. It's probably much hotter too. (laughs) He wants us to put on the new self. And he wants us to be transformed in the spirit of our mind. This idea of being transformed in the spirit of our minds, it is not about just gaining more knowledge and then instantaneously you become um, more righteous or more spiritual. The idea is that we spend time with God and He transforms the way we think and the way that we believe. Not just so that we follow rules. Um, A couple weeks ago, we talked about this idea that our beliefs inform Um, our decisions, which determine our outcomes. And oftentimes, we want to change our outcomes. We don't want the results, the consequences of the old self, of the old coat. So we want to change some of the decisions and maybe just add in some new good ones. But that's not the kind of thing that we're talking about. God wants to transform us in our core, not just in the outcomes of what's going on in our lives, not just in the decisions, but in the actual beliefs that drive them. If we're wrestling with greediness and sensuality and impurity, if our minds are darkened, he wants to go to the core of those things. And he wants to change them so that we might not ever wrestle with them again. It is God's grace that would do that for us. 
And he also says that we put on this new self and that it is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and in holiness. How good is that? We get rid of the old stuff, marked by all of that junk, and we get to put on the new one, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That my life is now marked, this, these clothes that I wear are marked by His righteousness and His holiness. They're not marked by my past sin. They're not mass- marked by my past struggles. Much like I'm there in that moment in um, that uh, homeroom for me in high school, my life, even though I didn't even know it, was no longer marked by me. They had heard about Jesus changing my life. And for me, my position had changed. Not all of my decisions um, had changed, but my position in eternity was changed forever on that day in 1992. What a grace that God would mark my life with His righteousness and His holiness. So, what does this look like, this contrast between the old self and the new self. Let's look at um, the next set of verses there, starting in verse 25. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come from your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So, it's a lot of words. Let's narrow this down. I've got a chart for you here today to see. What God wants you to do, He wants you to take off lies. He wants you to take off deceit in your life. And he wants you to put on truth. Take off lies, put on truth. Think of the things in your life today. Where are the lies? Where are the lies that you might tell yourself? Where are the lies that you might tell others? And maybe you justify it. Maybe you're like, you know what? Um, It's mostly true. You know what that's called? That's called a lie. (laughs) And God wants you to put on truth. Do you trust God enough in the difficult moments to tell the truth, even if you think there's going to be consequences for it? Take off the old self. Put on the new. You are marked with the grace of God. Put on truth. He wants you to take off anger. 
and he wants you to put on peace. He talks about be angry and do not sin. Um, I, I can tell you, as a human being, um, I at times will wrestle with anger. I was at a basketball game yesterday coaching my kids, and I can tell you, I was angry. <laughs> there were fouls that weren't um, being called. Uh, there were plays that weren't being done. I had uh, third or fourth grade boys um, passing the ball somehow backwards over their head full, all across the full court, which I did not teach them. Um, in that moment, um, I, I was angry, and boy, um, I really wanted to express it. In that moment, I must make a conscious choice to believe what God has taught me, to allow Him to transform uh, my mind, and I must put on peace. I must. This is who God has called me to be. I must take off theft, and I must put on generosity. Most of us here uh, probably don't wrestle with theft, at least as we would know it. I don't know anybody that here in the last week um, held up, you know, a bank or a liquor store. Anyone? Just so you know, that we, we do have a couple of sheriffs in the room, so don't, don't raise your hands right now. <laughs> They, they, might, they might have to help you um, take off the old self. Um, but, it's, but it's not just um, taking off the old self of theft. It is actually putting on generosity. Think about this question. Is your life marked by generosity? Do people around you, people in your family, people in your home on Christmas Day, is your life marked by generosity? The people of which you work with, is your life marked by generosity? That annoying neighbor, is your life marked by generosity? It's not just taking off the old, it is putting on the new. And choosing to believe, God in His grace has called me to be generous. And He desires um, from me um, to give out of His grace and His generosity to me. He has called me to give to others. What about gossip? Maybe you're like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not a middle school girl. I don't gossip. Not that all middle school girls do. Um, I, I'm not into that. Because what I say is True. <laughs> Just because it's true does not mean that it's not gossip. Are you sitting around talking about other people in negative ways when you haven't spoken to them? Um, are you slandering um, their name, their reputation? Um, do you badmouth them in the privacy of your own home or your car? Are you gossiping? Take that off, Paul reminds them and put on encouragement. Oh, well, that's, that's really not in my personality. Um, I'm not a very encouraging person. That's for the encouraging people. Um, no. Um, Paul says, if you are marked um, and named in Christ, you are to be marked by encouragement. Take off gossip. 
put on encouragement. Find ways to do it. Write a note, um, secretly or publicly. Um, post something encouraging to others on Facebook. Um, speak kind words um, to somebody else today. And then he finishes with this. He tells us to basically take off revenge. This one um, probably goes uh, fairly deep with us. Take off revenge. It might go back to things that happened to us, uh, maybe even as kids. Paul says, take it off. Release what you feel is your right to be forever angry and want to harm them. Take off revenge and put on forgiveness. Well, Eric, you you don't know what happened. I, I might not. Your story um, might be marked with incredibly horrible things. I don't know. But I know that Paul has reminded us that we are to set aside revenge, we are to put it off, and we are to put on forgiveness. Find a way. Ask God to change the way you think. Ask Him to remove your anger. Ask Him to heal your wounds. And even if He doesn't in those moments, ask that He would give you the courage to forgive. These things, taking off lies and putting on truth, taking off anger and putting on peace, taking off theft and putting on generosity, taking off gossip and putting on encouragement, and taking off revenge and putting on forgiveness. There's plenty there for all of us um, to be thinking about. So a couple of weeks ago, I had the privilege um, to attend um, the pinning ceremony for um, the new um, deputy sheriffs, those that were um, graduating um, as cadets and becoming um, deputies. And for me, it was this stark reminder uh, of what this... um, taking off and putting on might look like for us. Because there's something powerful about putting on a uniform, isn't there? It says something. It means something. And these cadets, they had gone through what is their version of boot camp and preparing for the job. They were learning ways to, in essence, take off Um, ways that they had thought, ways that they had believed, ways that they had acted uh, previously in their lives because they were going to be putting on something new. And not only were they just wearing a uniform, but there in a moment there is something special, something unique, something powerful when somebody pinned that badge on them. It was something that, even as I talk about it today, their goosebumps kind of begin to, to, to go on to your arms as you realize what these men and women are getting in front of others and declaring. 
they are declaring that I am now, when I wear this badge, that I represent someone. I represent something. And those values, those virtues um, that these men and women carry, they are profound. So as I sat there watching it, I, this, uh, this morning is um, it's kind of just finishing preparing my notes. Um, thought um, thought of, of these men and women and what was going on um, there for them. And um, now those, those men and women, uh, they're, they're no longer in the academy. Um, they're no longer cadets. Um, they have graduated. They wear the badge. Um, they're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Um, they still will wrestle with this old self, who they once were, what they once believed. Um, but they were pinned. They wear the badge. And for us, for those of us um, that have learned of Christ and surrendered our lives to Him, we are marked. We are no longer marked by who we once were, by our old self. We are marked by the living and graceful God. We were taught um, at some point in our lives about Christ and His grace. We were taught about His call, His forgiveness, um, His truth, and His ways. And uh, we have, in part, been discipled. There will be moments for these um, now uh, deputies where they will have to choose. Do they want to put on or keep on the old self, the old coat, the ways that they were? Or do they want to choose to take that off and to put on the new self, this new identity of which um, they clearly uh, wear on their chests? For us, we must do the same. We must do it today. We must do it in the car on the way home. We must do it um, in our homes uh, when um, something or someone is incredibly frustrating to us. Uh, we must do it uh, when we're faced with um, telling the truth, a difficult truth to someone's life. We must um, wear it and choose um, to put on the new self when we are given the opportunity um, to gossip or to encourage, whether to be angry or to seek peace or whether we want to seek revenge or hold on to the right to have revenge or to forgive. We must choose um, these things. So my question today um, is simple. What do you need to take off today? Name it. Take out a pen. Write it down. What is it that you need today to take off? What's on the list for you? I'm sure all of us have something. What is it that you need to take off? And not only what is it that you need to take off, what do you need to put on today? Name it. Write it down. Put it in front of you all week long. Put it on your mirror. Put it in your car dash. Um, put it in your Bible. Put it in your journal. Um, write on your forehead for all I care. Um, put it in a place that will remind you, as Paul is reminding uh, the church in Ephesus, that he has called you, he has called me, he has called us to take off the old self and to put on the new. So God, today, 
as we've had the privilege to open your word, to sing songs about your greatness and your glory and your grace. God, as you have challenged us with sin in our lives, and God, maybe that you have even challenged us to surrender our lives to you for the first time. God, that we would surrender our lives to you. We'd have the privilege to know what it is like to grow up into maturity in Christ. As individuals, that we would do that together as your church and your body and your family. God, that we would have the privilege to experience in every moment, every way, what it is like to be made new. Keep those things in front of us this week, God, that you would not let us go. God, that uh, you would change us. For it's in the glorious name of Christ we pray. Amen.